0: What is grace? Grace is community. Grace is passion. Grace is for everyone. Today we continue our Lenten series on Simon Peter. In this season leading up to Easter, we want to grow in our spiritual discipline. And one of the more compelling things we can do in this time is to look at the example of Simon Peter who made a long list of mistakes when it comes to Jesus and yet becomes one of the greatest apostles Christianity has ever seen. We saw in our first week how Simon Peter ignored his chance to follow Jesus and it took a dramatic moment before he got the message and said yes to following the Lord. Then last week, we explored the violent storm that swept across the Sea of Galilee. Simon Peter walked on water, putting his trust in Jesus and performing right alongside of Jesus this incredible miracle. But then he doubted. The story reminds us that Jesus is always with us no matter what we face, and we can be there for others too. That's what it means to walk with Jesus. Today we turn to another story of Simon Peter. This one involves a trip to a little known town called Caesarea Philippi. I'll say more about this place after we hear today's scripture from Sal. Uh, We hear Peter answer Jesus' cryptic question, who do you say that I am? Then Jesus explains what will happen to him leading up to his death and resurrection. Again, Peter steps up, but this one is a big blunder. Let's listen for God's word to us as we hear Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 19 and 21 through 23. Hear now the word
1: of the Lord. Now, when Jesus came unto the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do you people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist But others, Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, are one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the Living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon. Son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the, heads, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it, I will give you the keys of the Kingdom of Heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you lose on earth will be loosed in heaven. From that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and undergo great suffering. At the hand of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him saying God forbid it Lord this must never happen to you but he turned and said to Peter get behind me satan you are a stumbling block to me for you are setting your mind not on divine things but on human things this is the word of the god for the people of god thanks, thanks be to, be to god. god amen
0: let's pray god may we be an inclusive community passionately following jesus christ make us right with you and with one another as we try to keep from stumbling may you be our rock and our redeemer amen i had a chance to travel to switzerland once and there is something about going to a different country that can really shake you out of your usual way of looking at things at one point, I got to ride on a cable car up to the top of a mountain called Mont Salève. It's known as the Balcony of Geneva. And in some ways, it really was a balcony. As we rode up the cable car for a solid 20 minutes, going higher and higher, people started looking like tiny little ants. At one point, we were passing over a construction site, and an enormous digger looked like nothing more than a toy. I wanted to make sure I remembered that moment too because my son Davey was really into construction vehicles at the time. It's because of him that I know the formal name of that machine is an excavator with a shovel attachment. Uh, By the time we got to the top of the mountain, I realized that this was a mountain with no peak. Instead of a point at the top, there was an enormous plateau. There were some buildings, a park, even an entire goat farm was at the top of this mountain. One of the other things that was very different from the US was how at the top you could walk over to the edge and there were no railings, no fences, no safety measures to keep you from falling off. Instead, there were people getting strapped into suits running straight at the cliff to jump and fly off into the air on hang gliders. Perhaps half a dozen people were slowly, slowly circling the whole mountain to land far below. The most exciting thing at the top, though, is the view. Uh, I believe we have a couple of photos here for you. From the plateau of Mont Salive, you can see Mont Blanc, a mountain peak, still covered in snow, even when we were there in July. The whole experience is something to take your breath away. People describe a similar experience, I think, when they visit Niagara Falls or the Grand Canyon. There's a state park not far from where I grew up in Buffalo that's called the Grand Canyon of the East Coast, with a massive gorge and 50 different waterfalls. Around here you have Ringwood Manor and the Delaware Water Gap. Beauty is all around us and it can arrest us and and capture us in a way that almost nothing else can. It's in these moments of nature reminding us of just how small we really are that we can hear something there that we can't hear in other environments. Folks from Yale University talk about something called eco-psychology. There is more and more research pointing to a long list of benefits of being in nature, from weight loss to improving memory and feeling happier. Just being in a natural environment can change us for the better. The time it takes is pretty clear-cut as well. Two hours outdoors in green spaces and parks. You might not be able to get to Harriman State Park every weekend after church, but you can definitely make time to go to the environmental center here in Wyckoff or the grove in the field here behind the church. Two hours can change the direction of your life. I think Jesus knew this too. Not only do the scriptures describe Jesus regularly going off and being on his own to meditate and pray, he often does it on a mountain or in a desert, natural environments that bring healing to our bodies. In Matthew 16, we see Jesus doing this not just for himself, but also for his disciples. We only get a hint of this when the Gospel of Matthew says Jesus was at Caesarea Philippi. It doesn't mean much for us today, but back then, they would have known that this was located at the base of Mount Hermon. Today, it is a natural preserve and a national park in the Golan Heights. In ancient times, it was known for its beautiful waterfalls and an underground spring in a cave that fed into the Jordan River. When people tried to measure the depth of this spring, they couldn't do it. No, no length of rope ever dropped low enough to reach the bottom, so it was believed that powerful spirits were at work in this place. The Roman Empire thought the place was so important and beautiful, they built an enormous marble palace there to honor the emperor. They said all that land was set aside for him, a leader so important he was referred to as a god. And there in that place, surrounded by a palace of unimaginable beauty, waterfalls and a mountain that it took your breath away was so magnificent. Jesus turned to his disciples and asked them a question to see if they could hear something there that they couldn't hear in other environments. He asked them, who do people say that I am? Actually, he doesn't say, I am. He says, the son of man. Who do people say that the son of man is? Which is a phrase that is completely unique to Jesus. No one ever referred to themselves in this way before. So it's not entirely clear what he is saying. Some think it's a reference to the book of Daniel that describes a son of man coming out of heaven who is made king and whose kingdom will never pass away. But the language isn't exactly the same. Though Jesus is declared the Son of God, a divine being, the point here seems to be that Jesus is a man, just like you and me. Who do people say this human is? The disciples say what they've heard, Jesus is a prophet like John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin who had recently been killed, or maybe a prophet like Elijah or Jeremiah, and he prompts them again. But what about you? Who do you say this human is? And Peter, in all his brashness and boldness, blurts out that Jesus isn't just a human. He is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Not just human, but somehow a divine human. And Jesus affirms Peter, yes, that's right. And says that the church will be built on this rock. Remember, Peter or Petros means rock in Greek. And Jesus says something that probably too often doesn't feel true for us. He says the gates of Hades will not overcome it. He means as much as evil and hell on earth may bunker down and try and resist the forces of good, evil cannot win. We might look at a situation like Russia and Ukraine and think, look, evil is winning. People are dying from guns and bombs and losing everything they have in this world. That's evil, true, but Jesus promises Peter that it cannot win. Eventually, the war will come to an end. Eventually, people will find peace and be able to take care of one another. Eventually, Good will win out because the gates of Hades are not strong enough to prevail. I know that doesn't always feel true. Sometimes when we are in the middle of the struggle, it can feel like evil is winning, like good doesn't have a chance. I heard someone quote Martin Luther King Jr. recently saying, the arc of history bends toward justice, and they were somewhat skeptical. They said, what if it doesn't there are plenty of moments in my own life where i've wondered just that does it all really turn out okay well it's true that sometimes people are hurt sometimes people will die we have someone in our church who just found out some very bad news about their health will they get a miracle so things are made right when jesus says the gates of hell cannot prevail he isn't talking about literal gates protecting a city gates are a symbol of the power and authority of someone if you are the ruler of a city and you have the key to the gate you control who goes in and who goes out of that city jesus is saying when he is the messiah the anointed one the world has been waiting for as peter says then hell cannot win jesus has the power and authority not evil Jesus wins. And Jesus will always win as long as Jesus is Lord of your life. The strange thing in today's scripture, though, is that right after Peter makes this incredible confession, the very next thing that happens is Peter blundering in his ignorance. Jesus explains that in order for good to win... For Jesus to truly be the Messiah who the world longs for, he must suffer and die and be raised from the dead. Peter says, never, Lord, and he refuses to accept it. Peter wants Jesus to be the kind of Messiah that he imagines for himself Jesus would be. Not someone who suffers and dies, but someone who takes up arms, who leads Israel in battle against the Roman Empire. Peter wants Jesus to be a king with power. It's easy to think Peter is foolish for thinking this, but we do this too. We want Jesus to beat evil with power and authority, with a magical cure that heals us, with a dramatic rescue from our circumstances. And sometimes when things are really bad, we hope God might help us out with a Timely death of someone we don't get along with and don't tell me you've never thought that way. You've never prayed that prayer before We want Jesus to take control and beat the people we call our enemies But pause for just a moment and look at the what Jesus says right after the verses that we read today he says whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves And take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Jesus demands from us a radically different way of looking at the world. Defeating the enemy is not about war meeting war, It's not about bigger bombs and stronger spiritual forces on your side. The kingdom of God prevails when we hand our life over to God. When I put God first in everything, good wins and evil fails. We can do this in everyday life. Uh, We can give our lives away to truly find it. Uh, There was a man in India, he had someone come into his office... Who started screaming and, and yelling at him? He berated this man, saying how wrong and evil he was. After he finished his tirade, he asked the man, What do you have to say for yourself? The man who had been cursed, uh, who, who had accused this, this other man, simply got up and went to the bathroom. He came back with a pitcher of water and a basin. He said, even though the things you have said about me are not true, you are angry with me. And I think it is only right to ask for your forgiveness and for me to wash your feet and to serve you. The man who had screamed these accusations broke down in tears. He knew he was wrong and the offer to serve him anyways conquered evil that day. Years later, after Jesus and Peter had this exchange, Peter wrote a letter to several cities in Asia Minor. He said in 1 Peter chapter 5, All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Humble yourselves, that God may lift you up in due time. When I am under the most stress, and I feel like the world is breaking all around me, I can always find solace in nature. When I take time to be quiet, to commune with God, to really pause and listen for the Lord, I never come away trying to beat others, to conquer my perceived enemy. Instead, I am always humbled by the grandness of the world and the magnificence of God. I am moved to seek peace and to do everything I can to make it right with others. What we need in this world is not stronger kings and more power, but better ears, listening for God's voice in this beautiful world. When God speaks, he says, give up your life for my sake. I want to teach you a new rhythm, a new way to move in this world, that the kingdom of God would reign. Let's end here. Karen Miller tells a story about her husband who was looking for the right people to help lead in their new church. One Sunday morning, Irene, who is in her 70s, was setting everything up for communion. The pastor noticed that after having everything set up for communion, she went around to make sure everything else was in order. And people did whatever she asked them to do. Afterward, the pastor asked her, Irene, have you ever considered that You have a special gift to help the church? Absolutely not, she said. I am just an ordinary woman, a housewife and a mother. I don't have a special gift. I'm just serving. Some months later, this brand new church had a visit from a Rwandan church leader. He told the church how he dreamed of starting an orphanage and school for children whose parents had been slaughtered in the genocide. The new church decided they wanted to help. They wanted to have a banquet to raise funds, and Irene agreed to help put on this banquet. When she visited a possible caterer, she somehow convinced the caterer to donate most of the food. Irene talked with the banquet hall, and they gave her a deep discount. So did the tech people. No one could tell Irene no. On the banquet night, over 200 people came, and enough money was raised to build the school and its first dormitory. And he said to her afterward, Irene, this is amazing. Maybe you really do have a gift. And she laughed because she knew that it was true. Each May, Irene would lead the banquet again. Now there were photos of kids who had lived on the streets and never brushed their teeth, flashing these big, toothy, white grins. Boys who had been malnourished, their arms and legs painfully thin, now running and jumping across the yard on strong legs. Girls who had come dressed in rags showed off their neat school uniforms. Years later, Irene died after so many successful banquets, and the Sunrise Orphanage named a dorm after her. They did so because Irene had single-handedly been raising one-third of the entire school's operating costs. She had changed the course of hundreds of lives by caring and raising money for others. This simple woman served them so grandly. I think of our own organizations. I sit on the board of Camp YDP, which is an after-school program for children in Patterson. Every year they do something called Citizens for Swimming, where money is raised for the children to come out to Ridgewood and learn how to swim. They don't do it for any other reason that they, love, they want to love on those kids, to serve them so that they might grow and be confident, even if they are in the water. We feed the hungry through Kumak. Next week, we'll be taking up a collection for the United Methodist Committee on Relief. All the money will go to help those in Ukraine. These are different ways to serve, to reorient our lives around the rhythm of God. Jesus told Peter, you will be the rock I build the church on. That when Jesus is the king of your life, you'll never be at rock bottom. Instead, God shows us how to give our lives away, adding meaning and purpose to it we couldn't even imagine before. That's what Jesus does for us. So I invite you, give your life to God, that he is your Lord And you might offer humble service in his kingdom, not to gain power or greater standing or stature, but that Jesus might reign in your life. If he does, not even the gates of Hades can prevail against you. Amen? Amen. For everything happening at Grace, check out our website at gumc.org.